0: Hello and welcome to Association Transformation. Our conversation, not so new, actually almost one year old. Uh, advancing the impact and innovations and evolutions of nonprofit organizations around the world. We are officially international this uh, this first year of podcasting, and we're excited to seek out a diversity of thought and examples of best practices in this space. Um, and with the partnership of Brewer-Pratt Solutions and Consort Strategy, I, uh, I welcome my co-host, Mr. Andrew Chamberlain. How are you today, Mr? I'm,
1: ve- I'm very good. How are you today?
0: I am well. I am very well. And, uh, you know, today um, I'm excited about our guest and our topic. It, it may be um, important for us as collaborators and co-workers to, uh, to listen hard today. There may be some tough <laughs> love in here for both of us,
1: um,
0: but uh, you know, let's be honest: the nonprofit space, associations, whatever charitable entity you are, we're all made mm. up of people. Yeah. And with people comes conflict. With people comes baggage. With people comes poor communications. Uh, and uh, and I think you know these things have to be addressed to be a high performing organization you have to be a high performing team. And uh, I'm excited today to welcome Gina Weatherup, um, a friend of mine and an expert in this space from Chantilly Mediation and Facilitation. Um, She is the uh, the lion tamer to the most conflict heavy, the most difficult teams to work with. And uh, Gina, I'm so excited you're here with us today. Thanks for joining us.
2: You're welcome. And thank you for having me. And I'm so excited I got called a lion tamer. That sounds way better than mediator. I want to. Be you should a, put that on your business card. Seriously, that should be what it says. <laughs> we might start that. Uh, well, you
0: know, I, I think Andrew and I we, we've worked with boards that aren't always the best, the most cohesive, or the most respectful. We've probably been a part of teams that haven't been the uh, the most empathetic or uh, collaborative. And you know, as an expert in conflict, as an expert in in mediation, what I don't know. How do you know if you're on a a team suffering from from conflict how do you know if you're you're on one of those those bad teams what if it's you what if it's andrew for god's
1: sake (laughs) i knew that was coming i just knew that was oh set them up and (laughs) knock them down yeah so yeah do tell us how to resolve our conflict
2: (laughs) you know you know if you're it's, it's kind of funny you say how do you know if you're on that team or if you're that person or what you do with that person it's about how you feel. It's, I actually talk with managers a lot about like not being afraid of identifying the emotions you're feeling in the middle of a workday because, or at the start of your workday, if you're like about to log in or driving to the office and you're just sitting there like, oh, I don't feel good. Or people are crying in their car, which I remember being something coworkers of mine experienced working with a nonprofit once a long time ago. It's It just feels awful. And what the heck can you do about it? Once you feel the emotions, then you kind of start to think, okay, well, what can be done here? What are the facts? What's going on? Am I making assumptions about something? What might those be? It's kind of just thinking through often for yourself or if you're managing a team where there's conflict kind of looking at the team and going can the team learn something here like what do we need to have be the path forward um and it's similar with a board right a board board members are a team they have the goal of stewarding this association forward into the future and just figuring out like okay we we're feeling like there's some something going on here that's not good we're not all on the same page someone in particular maybe is that problem child and you know well well okay so that is where we are and now just think about like what is the goal what do we want to have happen here
0: well, maybe not having cried in my car on a way to uh, an oh, association goodness. job. Maybe things have been better than I ex- I really thought. Maybe, <laughs> maybe <laughs> I haven't really hit bottom yet. But <laughs> so what you're saying is, you know, this isn't really about conflict necessarily between individuals. This is about an unsatisfactory environment. I know you're passionate about happiness at work and and that's something you're striving to, to deliver to everyone you work with. Um, how do you... I don't. I, what's the first step, whether you're the manager or that team member, you know, evaluating your feelings. But then you know it's not right. You know something's off. How do how do you know?
1: Can I can I interrupt there uh, before you answer that question? Can I just? I feel like I want to contextualize the membership environment a wee bit, because you know I we both work with board. We all three of us work you know closely with boards of directors, and I think it's it's worth noting that in the membership world i think it's set up to it's it's almost it's almost set up to encourage <laughs> inadvertently perhaps conflict the unique sense of ownership that people have of their membership bodies regardless of you know, where they've come from, how much they pay their dues, doesn't matter what role they've played in that organisation. But that unique sense of ownership, which you don't get necessarily for your employer sometimes, you know, because, you know, you've maybe you know, it's it's a different sort of environment. And I often feel, particularly then when you come to the boardroom, that that sense of ownership materialises as a very strong sense of responsibility. And that is a huge amount of pressure that people feel. And I think it's worth just sort of acknowledging that before we get into the detail of it. And I, you know, it, it, it's, you know, one of the questions that, because I often, like you, um, uh, Gina, get parachuted into environments and it's like, oh, God, it's gone wrong again. But I think it's because the unique, yeah, that that sense of that ownership piece and that responsibility and the pressures are. Uh, are a, are, a, are a core component of the the personality of the sector, if you like.
2: Yeah, and I think that's a core reason that conflicts can get so entrenched, or um, that people feel so very strongly about them. Um, it's it's interesting. People generally have a preferred approach to conflict when they when they're in one um and there's been there's a a body of research in psychology that identifies five potential ways to approach conflict and they're kind of mapped on in in two kind of factors like how assertive are you generally and how cooperative are you generally and i think a lot of times we expect board members to be highly cooperative and some are and some aren't like people have different approaches right like people have different comfort levels And the truth is every approach can be appropriate. It just depends on the specific conflict, right? If there's some ethical dilemma that the board is faced with, you might want to take a competitive stance and be extremely strong and less cooperative, right? On the other hand, if we're talking about, you know, setting out um, uh, goals for the next two to three years and you've already kind of come to agreement on one, but there's some disagreement about another, maybe you're looking more for compromising collaboration or even accommodating, right? Which is on the very low end of assertiveness, but highly cooperative, like you're really emphasizing an importance of how someone else is viewing the situation. So it, it, it kind of depends on the mix of personalities. I think when you look at any team like a board, the more that people understand what their preferred approach is, the easier it will be to talk about conflicts when they come up of any kind, whether it's interpersonal, or substantive around strategic planning or goal setting anything, you know, because you can kind of recognize like, Oh, wait, I'm getting a little competitive again, or Oh, you know, she's kind of looks like she's avoiding this. So maybe I want to ask her some questions to draw out what she really thinks.
1: Yeah, because it's interesting. Because conflict—the term conflict—has such negative connotations, but you know, I spend a lot of time telling people actually constructive conflict is the source of so much creativity. And 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 yet and yet we kind of dance around one another sometimes in these sort of false harmonies because we're afraid to challenge one another for lots of different fears you know being embarrassed being found out or whatever else you know so how do you combat that i mean you know how do you get people to appreciate actually conflict doesn't always mean but in heads in a really personal way it could just be a total disagreement but it leads to something else it leads to that win-win situation
2: yeah So there's actually two things here, and the first is where you ended was where I was thinking, right? Is it really a conflict or is there just some disagreement and maybe different points of view on something, right? And both of those points of view are valid. It's just a matter of can we talk about that, those differences comfortably, right? So conflict itself, like disagreements, they're going to be inevitable, they're going to happen. But the culture has a lot to do with the way people approach those, right? And whether they kind of dig in their heels, or avoid talking about it, but really feel a lot of resentment, perhaps. um, Or there is a conversation and people are genuinely listening to try to understand the other point of view and figure out, well, where can we go from here collaboratively? right um and and i say collaboratively they're kind of loosely like it doesn't always have to be like that approach to conflict where you're looking for the third solution but maybe there's some compromise maybe it's just seeking to understand and then one side does kind of convince another that they're going to go in their direction but the other thing is it is incredibly important and this is definitely a part of any mediation situation i come into where i'm really kind of doing triage work in a way um to set aside the personal attacks and really focus on whatever the issues are right and so like as a mediator if i'm coming in to to deal with interpersonal conflict i'm doing a lot of um reframing where someone may have just insulted the other person and I'm gonna listen very carefully to that insult and try to pick out what might be a valid issue that's really upsetting them without repeating what the insult was, right? Because I'm the third party who's neutral and not advocating for any person, just for a process of listening and brainstorming and getting to a resolution.
0: Is this different when we're talking about staff teams versus boards? you know, I think of the staff teams, you know, they're not turning over at the same rate through terms and change. Um, they, they see kind of behind the curtain and maybe don't feel like they have to maintain the same type of decorum that uh, a body of, of directors or trustees may, may, uh, may carry themselves with. Are, are staff different when you come into those situations? And I would assume their collaboration and consensus is that much more important for the organization as a whole.
2: Yeah, I think it is Um, in many ways more important for the staff to be able to collaborate with each other, but I do think it could whether it's different from the board or not, is kind of dependent on the organization. I I can see it going, I've seen it go in both directions, right? Sometimes because staff is there longer, they get to know each other more deeply. They've been working together well, maybe for a long time. And when conflicts come up, they really are treated as like, okay, well, let's sit down and have a conversation. This is a disagreement, but we're going to figure it out. And on the other hand, people have been working together for a long time, and maybe they're still resentful that, that really happened five years ago and, you know, upset with this person, but not sharing it. So then the new thing comes up and maybe the response is a little more intense than it needs to be. So, I mean, that certainly happens as well.
0: You know, I think back to something that, uh, that you said earlier about, you know, you, you're listening really hard. You're listening into what they've really said. You know, I, I know that you're big on on uh, a curiosity mindset and listening. I mean, are those really the two main pillars of being able to see what's really happening versus just living in your emotions?
2: It really is important to to be able to listen and focus on understanding as you listen, right? Um, so I use a quote from Stephen Covey when I do trainings on conflict uh, about how most people do not listen to understand. they listen to reply or respond. And uh, yeah, when you're listening to respond, or because you are going to use what that person is saying to make your point, that's not true listening. That's not I'm trying to understand this person and where they're coming from. So I actually also do some training on empathy, because there's different types of empathy. And I'm a big advocate for the cognitive empathy, right? You may not feel involuntarily what this person across from you is feeling. Um, You may be deep in your own emotions. But if you can become curious about what they're thinking, what their perspective is, and really ask some questions from a place of genuine curiosity about like, tell me more about why you think that. That can be huge to calm down conflicts and to help teams move into a new place. So whether it's a board team, whether it's a staff team, whether it's a volunteer team, um, that that really trying to understand the other person's perspective and accepting that it's valid. It, you know, it's when you go through a mediation training they talk about how the simplest conflicts to resolve are the ones that are factual because you can just be like, oh, well, that's incorrect. Here's the information. And unfortunately, I think sometimes that is easier said than done. But certainly other types of conflicts, it's a little bit different, right? Like you can't just always point to, well, the statistic says x. So therefore, you know, I'm the one who's correct here and you're wrong you have to really understand that, While well, this is this person's belief. This is their perspective. Everything that they have lived in their life brings them to this conclusion. And I'm going to understand that. And it's okay that my perspective is different, but let's figure out a way to just talk about that.
0: God, the sincerity of listening to understand. And I think organizationally adopting that as a, a strength with your audiences, with your stakeholders, with your members, I mean, how amazing would it be for an executive to listen to understand to his or her members, not just to serve or, or prove value or, or retain, but to really empathize and to understand and to ask more questions. Because I, I think we've all as consumers gotten to the point, we know when we're being asked questions or surveyed just so they can sell us something. And uh, you know, listening to understand, I think that would be such an amazing skill set. For executives in a nonprofit environment, um, not only for the staff team but for that membership audience—that's—I really—I've—I wrote that down. I mean, listening to understand—I—I I really like that. That might be my big aha for today.
2: Oh, that's awesome! And I mean, I completely agree with you. When you're dealing with—if you're an association leader and you're out there to serve so your members and you want to give them solutions that make life easier—you have no idea if your solutions are what they need unless you're listening to them and really understanding what they're dealing with, where they're coming from. You have to listen to understand before you can do anything else.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and so many of us are trained to be problem solvers and you almost become, uh, it's like a muscle memory where you're listening and you are sincerely listening. You care, but you've already, you've already decided, okay, I'm listening to solve. I'm listening to respond. And you know, I think both personal life, professional life, it's something, you know, especially us, you know, service providers, you know, that's, that's what we're, we're built to do. And you almost have to deprogram yourself to, to do that, that listening to understand how does curiosity fit into this? I know that's a big thing. I was reading some of your materials and how, what, what is that the curiosity mindset? How does that work into this?
2: The curiosity mindset, um, in some ways, I think it almost comes after learning about the cognitive empathy, right? It's, It's understanding that different people have different perspectives and genuinely being curious or wanting to understand what the other perspectives are, right, so it's not asking questions to get to a goal. In some ways, it is sort of the correlate to listening to understand, right? If someone comes to you and says they have a problem you're going to ask some questions, most likely, but are the questions to see if that fits the solution you have for them or is that because you genuinely want to understand what's going on?
0: So this means Andrew should respect that I have an opinion on things that are, is not wrong but are founded in my experience and my expertise and he should treat them as valid. Is if, this what I'm hearing you if, say?
1: If, you're, if, that is how, if that is how you experience things, then that is real. Oh. It's real to you.
0: Oh, thank you, Andrew. I I love that validation.
1: In your oh, made-up world, tearing up. <laughs> Gina's tearing
2: up. I love it, it was those last. She's
1: stories. not. She's she's she despairing. Said he said it's
2: real to you, and I'm like, mm, I mean, oh, yes, that that's dismissive? the point. But if you just didn't say that, it would be a little more. Validating. I'm
1: sorry, you. Well, look, I'm sorry <laughs> you feel that way. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh, All right, Andrew.
0: Okay, so there's ways we need to speak to each other. There's there's uh, real listening, and and there's Andrew's listening. And uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Gina wants well, to jump just, in.
2: Before. One of the tips that I <clears throat> I love to share, but I think it can be hard to achieve, is we often can pick up on whether a question is being asked out of genuine curiosity or not by tone of voice. So like I love that this is a podcast and people are listening and they have, they can't see all my various hand gestures because I talk with my hands all the time um, or my face but they can hear things right and sometimes when I'm live in front of the team I will ask them to close their eyes and I'll say the same exact sentence sentence two ways and then ask them which one they feel like answering right like huh why did you do that or huh why did you do that same words, even the same sound to start it off with. Which one of those do you really feel like answering? You, you can express the curiosity just through your tone of voice.
0: So in a world where we are more virtual, we're online, we're communicating through email tweets, you know, posts, how do you then pick the right words? How do you harness your language? Yeah, you know, I have to remind myself all the time not to read emotion into an email. You know, emails don't have a tone of voice, but we project things onto them based on our understanding of a situation. How do you, what are the guardrails to make sure that your written word is conveying what, what you truly mean?
2: Oh, that's a wonderful question. And, and unfortunately I love writing. I love reading. I don't think you can ever be certain when you're talking about just the written word. There are so many situations where you really just need to have a conversation, and it doesn't have to be on video, right? We are very much still in a virtual world, but you can just pick up the phone and call someone. Um, and and you know, to be respectful of that, especially on things that might be in a con- middle of a conflict or somehow sensitive, you know, scheduling that call is very respectful. But just just really really picking up the phone and and asking about it. And if you are writing it out, then just try to think about, well, you know, I often will type up an email, not put in who it's going to, and then just kind of sit and let it stew for a little bit and, and read it again later and go, okay, so how does this really come across to the other person? Cause communication is always a two way street. And I also like to end those kinds of emails by like, with something open ended as in, you know, happy to have a conversation on the phone with you about this anytime, or let me know your thoughts, right? Or um, you know, I'd love to hear, you know is this is really easier to do in a verbal conversation, but asking someone what they think you just said to them can also be really vital whenever there's any kind of disagreement. Ooh, isn't
0: that con- I mean, isn't that condescending and assuming does, you're not really like- listening?
2: I think, first of all, do not do it in an email. <laughs> but second of Can all, you tell you what? I, I, think, I think in a lot of conversations, it's actually less condescending than it sounds like it will be, which sounds strange. But I think there's just so many conversations I've had with people where I'm like, well, what do you think I just said? Or tell me what you're hearing from me, which is maybe a kinder way to say it.
0: Oh, I like that. I like that better. I like that
2: and better. then you understand if they get it or they don't. And if they don't, it's just, okay, well, and, you know, the, the other perspective that I wanted to add to that is, whatever. Okay.
0: Okay. Oh, the human nature, the, so- the sociology, the psychology of it all. God, we just want to run great nonprofits. <laughs> it's it's the people piece that makes it uh, exciting and complicated and uh, I don't know. It's so amazing. I think,
2: I think the more that you prioritize the people piece, the easier it becomes. Because people will understand that you care about them if you do genuinely care about them. If you're putting the people first, whether your people are your staff, your members, your board, the people of the situation. I think that just shines through when that is your priority. Right.
0: But sometimes, I mean, to your point, you know, sometimes we have to get through the conflict, whatever that means for your organization first, before we can fully invest and and give people these soft skills. Um, a lot to think about and so glad that there are uh, experts and, and shepherds and lion tamers uh, like yourself out there helping the, uh, Nonprofit and association communities um listen and better communicate and and collaborate with each other and with others um gina thank you so much for being here today i think andrew and i are better for this i think we've Mm -hmm. learned we've learned andrew are we going to be are we going to be better
1: well i'm listening to understand (laughs) and failing no (laughs) (laughs) all right well you we know, are.
0: Gina, Gina contributed to an article a couple of years ago. It's called how to be less annoying. I'm going to send ah, it to you mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, I'd love to know what you what you get from it. Do um,
1: please do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Should> <laughs> you hear the intonation in my voice. Yeah, do please do that. Do please do that. You don't
0: want to see the <laughs> hand gestures. <sorry. laughs> no, seriously, Gina, thank you so much. Um, best of luck with all your work um, with Chantilly mediation and facilitation. Um, We know this is something necessary in the nonprofit space, the Mm for-profit space, mm -hmm. the human space, the relational space. So thank you so, so much. Um, and thank you to everyone for joining us for this episode of association transformation. Um, We're happy to have you and would love to get your thoughts and ideas for topics that we should address. You can find association transformation, wherever you get your podcasts, make us one of your favorites. And until next time we say, stay well and put your members and your mission first.
1: Association Transformation is brought to you in partnership between Consult Strategy and Brewer Pratt Solutions in support of the Institute of Association Leadership.